So glad to be together again tonight in the house of the Lord. Let's turn, if you would, to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 15. We'll read down uh, through uh, verse 18 and then verse 1 of chapter 7. And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? What agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Are we blessed to be able to say that that's in us? That's in us. Amen. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. Now, believe it or not, that's more than cigarettes. That's more than a bottle of beer or a glass of wine or sometimes people touch false doctrine. They touch dreams, visions that are contrary to the word, dreams, feelings. I feel led to do this and I feel led to do that. Even though you can show them it's contrary to the word, but they still touch it, embrace it, and eat it, which makes them an idol worshiper. See, when you partake of such things, you're eating things offered by demons. That's what demonology is. That's what Old Testament idolatry was. If you've ever studied it very much, you know that some of those things did have supernatural occurrences. Yes, they did. They had supernatural occurrences and some of their festivities and some of the things that happened, it was actually demons. Sure. There's still some of that that goes on today with people who worship idols. It's demons. But some of us would never want to fall down before an idol of, of gold or silver or wood. But if we follow our own inclinations, we've made another idol. That's right. Well, that was free. That's, you know, it's just... Attributed to my ignorance, I guess. But Notice, wherefore come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. People are saved, many are saved and sanctified, but God hasn't received them yet until they're washed from uncleanness. Now notice, and it goes on into the advancement of fatherhood, and will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Now, many people today aren't any closer to God because they're waiting on God to grab them by the nap of the neck, grab them like this and jerk them around and throw them into a closer walk with God. You'll never have it. There's things we have to do. That's right. 
How many would like to be closer to the Lord tonight? How many wants God to help you to be willing to do your part? Amen. Let's bow our heads together. If you have a need on your heart, just hold that as we pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much, Father, for your precious word. We're so grateful, Lord, that that which has been written so, so reaches into our souls. 2,000 years ago, when you inspired this New Testament to be written, who would have ever thought that it would have been able to cover such a span of time? If we would go back three, four, five years and read a medical journal on cancer or a medical book on this or that or the other, some of the doctors would never by any means reference those things which were accepted as facts just 10 years ago. Or even some technological advancement or an understanding of the cosmos or how many stars there were and so on and so on and so on. But yet your Bible, this blessed book called the Bible, even though it's all these thousands of years old from the Old Testament to the New, man has advanced, sin has went on, and yet this Bible is as current today as it was when it was written 2,700 years ago in the Old Testament. It's the only book of its kind. We thank you, Lord Jesus. Father, we ask you tonight that you'd be mindful of each of our needs, Lord. Dear God, this prayer cloth that I have in my hand for Brother Gene Lehman, Lord, you see this situation with his heart, and you see what the doctors are trying to do to help our brother. Father, they're treating him with medication and seeing if the medication will help him. Then if not that, they're going to try something else and something else. But Lord Jesus, we're asking on behalf of our brother that you'd be mindful. Lord, he wanted a prayer call tonight. He's going to start wearing it, Father, from this night on, believing you to move for it. And we're just believing with him. Would you grant it, Lord? Would you help me to get out of the way tonight, Father, that you can speak through this human instrumentality? We've assembled not to see one another. We've not come together tonight, Lord, to be entertained. We've not come tonight, Father, to have our ears tickled. But we've come to hear the word of God. So we pray that you'd speak to us, Father, in Jesus' name. And the saints said... God bless you. You may be seated, saints. Love you so much in the Lord. Amen. God is so, so kind to us, isn't he? How many wants to be a separate people? But now remember, separated not by your own opinions or separated by what people, by ideologies of what they think sanctification offers. You know, Jesus was a very unusual type of character. Uh, the world had never seen anybody like him. There'd never been anybody so holy, so pure, so sanctified, so righteous. But yet there were those who were less sanctified who thought Jesus was less sanctified. There were people who looked at him and thought uh, they themselves were much more dedicated to the cause of God than he was because they did not understand separation. The Pharisees were so strict, and we've talked about them before. They were the strictest of the group, of course. But yet they looked at the Lord Jesus and felt like the Lord Jesus was a compromiser. Because they themselves had established such self-righteousness and self-holiness of what they believed holiness truly was. So they looked at him with criticism. They looked at him with terrible, terrible attitudes and said he was a wine-bibber, that he was a gluttonous man, that he was a friend of sinners. And yet here was the holy, sinless Lamb of God that was so pure that he was going to be able to give 
his life and die for us and be accepted in the presence of God. And then you have these low-down, rotten, sorry hypocrites that was looking at him and calling him evil. So, you know what? You realize that, that evil covers more than just people that hold a cigarette between their fingers. Evil and self-righteousness and all that thing. Many times, some of the most difficult people that I've ever dealt with in my life, and I've dealt with a lot since I've been a Christian, has been those who felt like they were so close to God, but actually what they had was a religious spirit on them. You can't deal with them. You can't tell them nothing. You can never lead them any farther to God because they know more about it than you do. Actually, as a matter of fact, most of them know more about it than God, except they just won't tell him to his face. And they're much harder to deal with than a drunk or a whoremonger or a liar. I've led whoremongers to God. I've led liars to God. I've led adulterers to God. I've led homosexuals to God. I ain't never, never to this day ever led a dyed-in-the-wool person with a religious spirit on them. Never led one of them to God. Now, to me, that is scary. You know why? Because that demon so intertwines himself in and around their personality and isolates them into this religiosity that they feel like that they're in. So they already know more than you. They know more than Brother Branham. They know more than the Scripture. They know more about it than anybody that they know. So therefore, you cannot help them. Aren't you glad tonight you can be taught something by God? Oh, some of you may look at yourself and say, well, I don't know very much, and, you know, I, I don't know this, and I don't know that, and you think that's a discredit to your life. If you really can believe that with all of your heart, you're one of the very few that's in the avenue that can be helped by the presence of God. So being separated and being apart from the world does not mean that we don't rub shoulders, of course, with the world, but it means that we are actually in contact, but we are not contaminated by them. That also means that we as the saints of God are able to reach out with the love of God in our hearts, even with folks that might differ with us in our ideas. They might differ with us in our doctrine. I've went and preached for preachers before, and maybe some of my brothers would warn me. Now, Brother Donnie, be careful. I know you're going to preach for this guy. This guy's identified as a seventh under guy. This guy over here is identified as this and that and the other. Well, I knew that already, but I also felt in my heart that they needed me to be able to come and see if I could do a little something. I can understand my brothers warning me and all, but sometimes Father will press you a little bit beyond your own right and your comfort zone to be able to reach out to somebody. Well, praise the Lord. And as long as he has confidence in you to know that you're not going to be contaminated, then he can be able to lead you because it, that inner sanctum within inside of you has the guidelines. So I don't have to call Brother Tim or call Brother Mike Price or Brother Ron Spencer and say, hey, now tell me, where's the guidelines of where, who I should fellowship with? Or who I should, no, whenever I come to that, it's time for me to sit down. If I don't have enough of the leading of the Holy Ghost to be able to help me, well, praise the Lord, to move me beyond my comfort zone. Come on, saints, you know what I'm talking about. But yet it does not mean the Holy Ghost will ever lead us to a spot to where he will ever put us in a compromising situation. And if you and I have ever been in a compromising situation, it's not because the Holy Ghost ever led us there. Now, the Holy Ghost may put us into a spot to where that we may be trial 
little bit. Now, a couple of years ago, Brother Tim Pruitt and Brother Ron Spencer, a couple of the brothers actually was invited into a Seven Thunder convention. Now, if you know anything about them conventions or died in the wool Seven Thunder, you don't believe Seven Thunder, well, you ain't part of it. Well, they were invited by someone who hosted this. They knew what it was before they went, but they felt led of the Lord to be able to accept this invitation. But they were able to go and be able to expose these people to the power of God and a God of the miraculous and a God that was able to move in a way that their move did not know anything about. It was able to help them people see that there's something outside of what they feel like. They're so special and they're so elite. You know what they found out? They found out they wasn't so special after all because the supernatural God come on the scene. Now it wasn't easy because they were supposed in what they preached. They were supposed by the preachers that sat on them. It'd been much easier to come to here at Happy Valley and preach a convention here. But sometimes the Lord will lead you out of your comfort zone to be able to use you to put himself on display. That's the type of Christians we want to be. Now for most of you, you're not going to be put in that type of spot because you're not a preacher. But God may lead you in your job, maybe in a school situation, maybe in a college situation, where that God will put you in a level that's a little bit out of your comfort zone. But God wants to do it to be able to show that he is still a living, resurrected Lord. He will never put you in a spot to where you will have to compromise. Now you know Brother Tim and Brother Ron well enough to know they didn't go in there and compromise and, and, and scream out something that would be a cliche that would try to convince these people, you know, we believe this or that. But they preach what the Lord put on their hearts and God come down and moved. I appreciate that myself. Amen. Now, because of that then, we know that the Spirit of God will always lead us into a spot to where that He will never lead us to where that we will remain in a spot that we will be there totally unequally yoked in the presence of God. Now, we're going to read this again, what we read last week in 2 Corinthians 6.13. But when we read this, I want you to keep in mind when we talk about unequally yoked that we're not just talking about marriage alone. Now, it certainly refers to marriage, but it refers refers to a lot of other things that we could be yoked to. Now, for a recompense in the same, I speak as unto my children. Be ye also enlarged. Oh, don't you love that? Here's an apostle that has the people's welfare in mind. So now, even though he's fixing to rebuke them a little bit, he wants them to know that he's not doing it because he's mean. He's not doing it because he has an ill attitude toward them, but he loves them as children. And as we have we all know that have children, sometimes we have to correct them. Sometimes you can speak to them in a mild-mannered way, and they will be able to receive that. Other times, you may have to raise your voice. I'm sure I'm the only parent in this whole building that ever had to raise my voice to my two daughters. I'm sure that all the rest of you, just with this angelic uh, voice you just raised, and your children just simply fell in line. Who do you think you're kidding? Well, what do you have to do sometimes? You know, sometimes you have to raise your voice. Sometimes you have to get stern. Sometimes you choose to use their full name, which means their legal name plus their middle name plus senior, junior, third, fourth, or whatever more, and they know they're in trouble when you do it because you normally don't refer to them, right, in that way. So, and that's the way the preaching of the gospel is, that God doesn't always have ministers just to be able to speak in a calm, tone voice 
and they don't just say it all the time with honey and sugar and spice and everything nice on top of it but sometimes they rake you pretty hard because they love you with a spiritual parental love and they would much rather they would much rather to be able to speak to you in such kind terms let me tell you something you'll never know what a real servant of God goes through when he has to preach hard to you I let you Wednesday night I beat myself all to pieces for the next three or four days I was so low I could crawl under a concrete block with a 10 gallon hat on and never touch the top because I don't like preaching hard I don't like preaching straight but I want to tell you the truth and when we stand before God I don't want none of you pointing your finger at me and say, God, he was a compromiser. God, he never told the truth. He let me get by with this and that and the other. Nope, I'm not going to do it. Not as long as I'm your pastor. It may tear my heart out, but I'm going to tell you the truth. Now, notice then Paul, he wants him to see how that he's bringing this and the tenor and the humor by which he's going to bring it. I speak to you as unto my children, be ye also enlarged. So he wants them to grow. He wants them to be further advanced in the word than what they are. And now he's going to give them the key to understanding growth and enlargement. And that is by separation. So he says, be ye not unequally yoked. And the word, of course, means to come under an unequal or different yoke, to be unequally yoked, to have fellowship with one who is not unequal. And it comes from the background, as we looked at last week in Leviticus and also Deuteronomy, that it was that they were not allowed to be able to yoke together a little donkey and this gigantic ox that would be able to pull such a load. So is it that a Christian should never marry a sinner? No, should a word believer marry a foolish virgin type or a lost wife type amen because it is an unequal yoke but notice he said together with unbelievers for what fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness and what communion has light with darkness now we know there's many types in the scripture and Satan found it out in the garden of Eden all he had to do was get the people of God to join together in a false union against the word now it does not have to deny the word altogether all it has to do is deny the word just a little bit. He knows if he can just get on one principle and start them on a denial of one principle that they will advance because once they break over that one principle then it'll be easier the next time, the next time, the next time and so on so they go. So he wanted them to be able to do that and he found out a false union is what produced it. So Eve united her thinking with the voice of the devil as he anoints the serpent and little by little he pulls her away from the word. Building of the tower the same way. Sons of God marrying the daughters of men. Genesis 6. On down, on down, on down. And Satan has done the same thing and still doing it today. So unequally yoking people together that are of a different nature. Now does God want us to never speak to the world? Uh, you work with people of the world that are unconverted or say God don't want you to say well I ain't getting around you because my church preaches against you. You're going to hell and you're lost. No, nope, that's not giving our life. But Never allow yourself to be put into a state of contamination by compromise to where that you have to give up. Now, what's this? We'll go into the marriage aspect of it just a little bit. Separation from unbelief. And the prophet said, you know, boys, I'm telling you tonight and you young ladies, be careful 
who you marry, you'll have a broken home the first thing you know. And it's not good for sinners and Christians to marry together. Don't be unequally yoked together because that's what God Ahab. She was a pretty little thing. Yes, paint all over her face, eyes like a lizard. And the thing that it was, you know what? That's the truth. Ahab just fell for her because she was perhaps pretty because he couldn't have fell for her for her character. Now listen. So he saw something, but he didn't see reality. Now he saw something that apparently appealed to his flesh, and she must have been a beautiful woman, an attractive woman. Of course, we knew that she used stibium, which was this Old Testament form of makeup on her eyes, and they painted their eyes quite large, and they put things on the top and on the bottom, and it enhanced the eye, and it was very, very appealing, apparent to the Middle Eastern understanding of what the eye was. And she had learned this art of being able to be a very seductive type of woman. Now notice he says, I want you to know Notice how the prophet now goes beyond her beauty and goes into her character. Ahab just fell for her because she perhaps is pretty because he couldn't have fell for her character. So he fell for her, but not the real her. What he fell for was the painted up person, but the painted up person was not the real person. Now the real person, listen to what Brother Adam calls her, because he couldn't have fell for her character because she was a murderer but now if she would have come out with axes and you know all kinds of weapons and all kinds of mean stuff and and blood human blood was running out of her mouth and my goodness she had blood where she'd scratch people with her fingernails and oh my she was this hideous looking thing why Ahab would have never never ever fallen in love with such a person but yeah, no doubt she come out seductively dressed and in a way that was absolutely appealing to the eyes. Maybe she learned how to walk and how to do all of these sort of things. But yet never drinking human blood or never be able to portray herself as a murderer or what the real woman was. But yet in her heart, this is what she was. So he fell in love with a person that he thought was a good type of person, right? Now, of course, she had a great background, come from royalty, so-called. But yet, this is what she truly was. And if he would have consulted God, of course, we know that God would have let him know that. But notice this, she was a murderer. She was everything else. That's right. Ahab fell for her because she was pretty. Then he got himself infatuated with her. So he fell in love with what he thought was this woman. And then he became infatuated. Now, infatuation can be a very strong strong thing. And infatuation actually ties to our human emotion. And many people become infatuated with either a man or a woman, and they feel like it is love. And they identify it as pure love, and they think, oh my, I just love her so much. I love him so much. I've just got to have him. It's just love, 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 love. It's love. I know it is. I've got to have him. And they feel this, and they think, well, I know it's love. I've never felt this way about anybody before. Well, maybe they've never been infatuated about that any person like that before and they identified that emotional feeling and they think it is love when in reality it's infatuation. I hope somebody's hearing me tonight. 
Now, there's a great difference between infatuation and love. Infatuation would try to project something to you that is not reality. This is what it did to Ahab. So it was a very strong infatuation tied with her beauty identifying itself with his lust. Now, then he feels something emotional. You know, he feels something maybe even psychological. And he thinks, oh my, I've just absolutely got to have this woman. And he becomes so infatuated with her that he left the principles of truth and he had to enter into a compromising state maybe think well I'll lead her to God who knows maybe I can bring her to the church and, and uh, you know maybe maybe the Lord will get a hold of her heart and oh, oh my I mean, I, this has got to be God this has absolutely got to be God well see the infatuation was leading him contrary to the word true love will never lead you and I contrary to God's word well, I feel led to do this and felt one genuine way you can check all them feeling leads is see how they line up with the Word. Because the Holy Ghost will never lead me or you to do anything contrary to what's written. That's right. So Ahab may have said, I definitely feel led. This is definitely the Lord. And it was actually his infatuation. Her brother Ben said today in Future Home, he said, this is where the brethren get so confused about spiritual gifts. He said, they feel like the interpretation in tongues. They'll say the Lord this and that and the other. And he said, they don't realize that is Satan. And he said, you say in the garden of God? In the garden of God? Why, of course. Why? Because Satan in, what was it, 1964? In the harvest time, I believe it was, December of 1964, that he said Satan can hand out them spiritual gifts by the handfuls. Now you see, people who want to be so-called spiritual, God is not the only one that hands out spiritual gifts. Satan hands them out by the handfuls. But Satan will never hand out a perfect gift because he don't have any. But he will always hand out a gift that has a flaw in it. So it'll hit and miss and hit and miss. You know, a discernment of somebody here tonight is having a problem. Wow, that's a big discernment now, ain't it? I feel there's somebody here tonight that's having a pain from here down. I can't quite line up where where it's at on which side of the body. Well, that would cover the majority of us that's at least a year old. If we can talk, you know. Well, there's somebody here tonight that's been under a burden. I'll raise my hand on that. Anybody else? You know that that generic, whoops, I I missed. I'm I'm sorry, I missed. Well, Babe Ruth missed. We're not playing baseball. Well, praise God. Come on, the saints. Don't get quiet on me. But you see, Satan knows there's all different type of people, and people become infatuated. You know, Brother Neville was a great servant of God. But Brother Branham had to go to Brother Neville because Brother Neville had a gift, but that gift had a margin of error in it. And the people was pulling on Brother Neville. So Brother Neville was speaking in tongues and then interpreting and all that sort of thing. Well, I'm sorry y'all didn't know that. Brother Brandon mentions it to us that he went to Brother Neville with us, saith the Lord. And Brother Neville, a good man, a sincere man. But the people kept pulling on him and he started saying things that was not coming to pass. So Brother Branham loved Brother Neville and corrected Brother Neville. And it showed Brother Neville had the Holy Ghost because Brother Neville received correction when his gift was wrong. You see, people who, all, who operate an imperfect gift will not receive correction. It shows they're not filled with the Holy Ghost themselves. That's right. So the real Holy Ghost can always be corrected. Well, I don't know what in the world I'm doing in the middle of this tonight because it's showing in the notes, but I think we'll just stay here for a while and have a camp meeting. Let's see what the Lord's got to say, shall we? 
But you see, whenever we become unequally yoked with whatever it is, then we can become infatuated. So a boy can become infatuated with a girl, and he feels like it's love, and he's fixing to marry a murder, a painted-faced Jezebel, whatever more. girl can marry, you know, the same way, become infatuated. And there is spiritual infatuation. The people can become infatuated with a man, a gifted man, a preacher, or this or that or the other, or they become infatuated with emotion. But God don't want us to become infatuated he wants us to become saturated he wants us to be so saturated with the power of God that absolutely nothing moves us you see people that become infatuated with emotion as long as they're feeling emotional they're up on the mountain but when they don't feel anything and they go to church and they're going through a valley they're ready to quit they're ready to turn their back on God well I knew there was nothing to it no how you was just infatuated friend but if you ever become come filled with the Holy Ghost, if you go six months without feeling anything, if you go a year without feeling anything, if you go two years without feeling anything, you may feel alone and you may feel sad, but you ain't going back out yonder because you know your worst day being a child of God is better than anything the devil ever gave you. That's right. So we don't want infatuation, salvation. We want revelation, salvation, which brings us to a genuine new birth by predestination. Now, notice this. So Ahab becomes so infatuated with her, and he, of course, unites together. So now you've got a big ox marrying up a donkey. And remember, now, Ahab wasn't even an example of a real, real solid, sound believer. So, you know, people in our church or whatever message church say, well, really, you know, I'm more of a liberal message people. There is no such a thing. Either you believe it or you don't. Well, praise the Lord. Well, I I lean more toward the left in the message. No, we're middle of the road. Neither left nor right. Come on, friends. We're not Democrats or Republicans when it comes to our soul. We're Christians, right? So, you know, we say, well, you know, I'm just not quite as as, as bad as Brother Donnie. I mean, I believe the message and everything. But Brother Donnie, you know, he's kind of a religious crank. And, you know, he's very, very, you know, he's very, very solid and don't ever move. And and I'm more of a balancer. No, you're a compromiser is what you are. Just go ahead and tell the truth. Well, hallelujah. Now notice he says, watch this, Ahab fell for her because she was pretty, and then he got himself infatuated with her, and then, oh, listen what follows to infatuation when a man marries one of these Jezebel murderers. He got himself infatuated with her, and then she ruled him. She didn't even have to rule him with a hand. Just a finger. Stop moving the mouse on your computer. Go here, yes, ma'am. Go there, yes, ma'am. Oh, brother Donnie, I, I, I'm not hen pecked. You got hen house ways. Praise God. Thank God, brothers. God gave us wonderful wives, but they're not intended to be our head. God gave us wonderful sisters in our church, but they're not intended to rule the church. Praise God. That's why there's no qualifications in the scripture for a woman preacher. She's to be the wife of one wife or, or the wife of one husband. Or There's no spiritual qualifications for deaconesses. That's why we don't have any here. 
Well, you bunch of male chauvinists. No, we're Bible believers. God was the one who set it up this way. Real born-again sisters can say amen to that. That's right, because they know it is God's Word. That's right. The New Testament gives them their place. But notice, now his infatuation leads him to marry this woman. Now, well, you're talking about sad. This next paragraph, I'll tell you. Do you know the wisest man in the Bible outside of Christ died a heathen idolater? Now, this is the only place that I found that made me question and wonder if Solomon will even be there. Died a heathen idolater because of a bunch of pretty women. Solomon pulled him away from God. Praise the Lord. Don't yoke yourself up Unequally. I've seen many people. Now watch how he connects this now. Beyond marriage. I've seen many people come to the platform and be healed. And walk away. And mix up with unbelievers. And their sickness come right back on them again. Why? Because they unequally yoked. Joined themselves up with somebody. Oh there ain't nothing to that. Why you've still got the symptoms. Why you're saying something that ain't the truth. You're saying you're healed. And you've still got the pain in your back. You've still got them headaches. And what will they do? Talk you right out of your healing. So being unequally yoked goes beyond marriage. Everybody understand that? So we should watch every day of our lives. Now remember, we're not talking about contact, but we're talking about contact without contamination. Notice again the choosing of a bride. If we would study what we're doing when we're going to get married, when we choose our wife, our husband, it would study over it. A man should pray earnestly for he could ruin his entire life. So this does away with the theology that some of the men feel like they can get married as many times as they want to. Notice the date of this sermon and the title. 429-65, the choosing of a bride. So two months after marriage and divorce. So it don't mean a man can get as married as many times as he wants to. Well, he gets in don't like her, put her away and marry another. Well, that didn't work out. We'll put her away and marry another. Just keep on doing it till you find one. If that's your makeup, the problem could be you. More than likely is. Well, thank you, Jesus. Notice so Brother Branham does not believe then that a man after preaching marriage and divorce that a man can keep on going to the 13th, 14th, 15th, 22nd, 88th, 95th how many ever times he has to he finds the right one but Brother Branham says a man should pray earnestly for he could ruin his entire life. Remember the vow as until you get tired of her and then when you get tired of her put her away because you're a man and you can do whatever you want to do. You believe that you'll go straight to the pits of hell. That's not the message. Well amen Jesus. Oh my he could ruin his life by making the wrong choice. But if he knows 
He's making the wrong choice and is marrying a woman that isn't fit to be his wife and he does it anyhow. Then it's his fault. If the woman takes a husband and knows he's not fit to be a husband to you, then that's your own fault. Actually, you know what's right and wrong, so you shouldn't do it until you've thoroughly prayed through. Now let's bring it on over also and joining ourselves in close fellowship and intimate fellowship, joining ourselves to a person that does not fully believe the word. Sure, be friendly, be nice to people, be a Christian to everybody, but you should reserve your close intimate heart, your close intimate feelings with those who are of your faith, my brother, sister. That's right. How can two walk together except they be agreed? They cannot. Now let me read you a few statistics, shall we, about interfaith marriage and divorce data. Vera Lawler from the Bergen Record in Hackensack, New Jersey, wrote that interfaith marriages have a failure rate of 50% higher than same-faith marriages. Since the rate for all marriages is on the order of 50%, this would imply almost 75% failure rate for interfaith marriages. Three chances out of four. So would you invest money on them risks? So you're going to talk to an investor and the investor tells you 75% chance, I guarantee you, you're going to lose your money. And you're going to say, oh, that's okay. That's okay. It's worth the risk. Y'all are too tight for that. I know most of you well enough to know that. If you're going to throw your money away, throw it into missions and we'll put it to a good purpose. You wouldn't do that. Well, most of you would not take that risk. There's no way. 75% chance you're going to fall. You're going to wait and say, well, that's crazy to do that. Why marry somebody of another faith when the very statistics and facts themselves are against you? Well, praise the Lord. Is this going to be one of them amenless nights? Notice Esther Perel, an interfaith marital therapist referring to Jewish Christian marriages, wrote in New York Magazine, the difference just isn't between Moses and Christ. You're dealing with issues of money, sex, education, child rearing, practices, food, family relationships, style of emotional expressiveness, issues of autonomy. All of these are culturally embedded. So you've got a message boy or girl that decides they can't find nobody pretty enough. They can't find nobody. They're a left-leaning message believer. So they can't find nobody that's left-leaning enough. So they get them a Pentecostal. Or they get them a Church of Christ. Or a Baptist. Or a Presbyterian. Or a Nazarene. Or whatever more. Oh, everything will work out fine. So whose church you going to? Oh, we'll trade it out 50-50. See, you've already entered into compromise. Well, I've done told her we'll go there on, on Sunday morning and we'll come to Happy Valley on Sunday night. We don't have church on Sunday night. Well, you know, uh, and if you have girls, is she going to let them wear dresses? Or is she going to make them dress like her? Preach, Brother Donnie. Amen, Brother Donnie. I'm with you, Brother Donnie. Scream it out, man of God. I mean, the, your little girl 
girls get big enough to where your wife wants them to be on the cheerleader team and strip their clothes off and get out there in the basketball court. Amen. Well, praise God. And also family relationships and family outings. You come from a good message background and uh, she don't feel comfortable coming to family outings, so she don't come. So how long will you be able to? And how long will your kids be allowed to? I wish somebody would hear me preach them. Oh, but you see, whenever you become infatuated, you lose your senses. You lose your, oh, oh, we'll work all that out. We'll we'll work all that out. Yeah, yeah, we'll we'll work all that out. Uh Uh-huh. You mean what you should say is she'll work you out. Well, praise the Lord. According to a new Pew Research Center report on religion and family life, adults who were raised in interfaith households say religion was a less prominent feature in their lives when they were growing up compared with those in a religiously matched family. So you got one that's a Baptist and one that's a message or one that's a Pentecost and say one that's a Baptist. Or let's just bring it on down to our ranks. You got one who's message who believes in preachers and one who's tape only. Look, friend, tape only people do not believe the truth. They don't believe the Bible and they sure don't believe the message. Well, thank you, Jesus. They don't believe the gospel. I know some of your false teeth nearly fell down a couple weeks ago when I said that they don't believe the beginnings of the gospel. You say, how can you say that? It's very easy. Jesus sent them forth, the apostles. He said, go preach the gospel. The gospel is what? Go tell somebody. Jesus never said, go read or go push play. But he said, go preach. You cannot believe the gospel and push play. Pew's survey offers an overview of how the religious makeup of a household impacts family members at a time when more Americans are being raised by parents of different faiths. Nearly one in three millennials, 27%, was raised in a religiously mixed home compared to 19% of baby boomers and 20% of Generation X. Interfaith marriages may weaken religious practice. Can't you see who's behind this? The same one who used Balaam. The same one who used the serpent. The same one who used the false prophets down through the Old Testament. So what does he do? He causes the Protestants to mix with the Catholics and, you know, the Baptists with the Church of Christ. And he knows that we, you understand, friend, that we've got a great, great, great number of American people that claim to be religious. But we've never had so many American religious people that do not attend church regularly. 
They are Christians and they, yes, they profess Christianity, but they don't even go to church. That ain't even in denominations. That's in our own ranks. So they sit at home and push play. Well, I hope you enjoy that in the millennium. Hallelujah. So what does it do? It weakens the entire basis of religion. But yet our nation is based upon religion. So they do not let go of religion. But what they do let go of is church attendance. Can't you see why Satan hates for you to come to the house of God? Y'all ever have them same battles and you're getting ready to go to Walmart? Just be honest with me. Do you, do, you, do you have them battles when you're fixing to take a few days and go down to Dollywood and just take a few days and rest a little bit? Does all hell break loose against you like it does when you're fixing to go to church? Isn't it amazing why how so much sickness attacks people on Wednesday night? And it attacks them on Saturday night and Sunday morning. I thought about starting having church on Tuesday and Thursday and Saturday morning. And just watch them demons mess up their schedule. I mean, it would blow their minds, wouldn't it? They would have to get out and that have to change their sickness. And you watch it. I guarantee you. If we started having church on Tuesday and Thursday and Saturday. Of course, some of them call us Seventh-day Adventists because we're having it on Saturday morning. But the demons would have to say, wait a minute, wait a minute. That ain't what we're used to doing. We're used to making them Happy Valley people sick on Wednesday and on Saturday night. Oh my, he messed us all up. But you watch what he would do. Why? Satan, you may not realize how important church is, but they do. You may let this come and that come and whatever more stand in front of you. I'm coming to the house of God. Well, it's only church. Only church. Church ought to be the most important thing in your life. Church ought to be more important than eating your supper. It ought to be more important than going to work. I feel like I have got a shotgun barrel tonight about that big. I'm just scatter gun. Notice this interfaith marriages may weaken religious practice. Americans worry more about a couple's shared interests in sexual compatibility than their religious background when it comes to predicting the success of a marriage. It shows their priorities, don't it? But before getting serious with someone from a different faith background, people should consider how a religiously mixed relationship might affect their own spiritual habits. Pew's study showed that people in interfaith marriages are less likely to say religion is important in their life. Attend worship services regularly, pray frequently, and believe in God. Why? It's too much trouble. It ain't worth the argument. Because they say he marries a worldly woman. She gets up, she puts on her tight dress. She starts putting her makeup on. Well, he knows right there she ain't going to Happy Valley. Or some other church that preaches the truth. Oh, I thought we was going, no, I don't want to go there today. We're going over to my church. Oh, my church. So you have two churches, do you? How can anybody expect it to work? Oh my, all markers of what pews call being a highly religious. Ah, now we're getting to my turf. (laughs) The 
and their counterparts in religiously matched marriages. More than 8 in 10 Protestants, 82%, married to fellow Protestants are highly religious. Compared to 58% of Protestants married to non-Protestant believers. Now we're not even talking about message people. We're just talking about Protestants. And look how much they trade off by marrying a non-Protestant. Can you imagine then a message person marrying a non-message how much they give away for the sake of peace in their home? Oh my, oh my, my, my. 59% married to someone unaffiliated with the faith or nuns as they called it, P reported. There's also a large gap in religiosity between Catholics married to other Catholics, 70%, are highly religious and Catholics married to nuns. Not N-U-N's, but N-O-N-E-S, nuns. 46%, two-thirds of adult married adults, or the 66% say that they discuss religion a lot or some with their spouse. Peer reported the frequency of these discussions falls when comparing religiously matched couples to religiously mixed ones. Okay. So you got a Baptist person who believes eternal security. You're a message person. You believe in being filled with the Holy Ghost, baptized in Jesus' name. You don't believe in women dressing undecent and men being men of their home. So she comes home from her church on Wednesday night and you come home from your message church on Wednesday night and y'all sit around the table and she's eating oatmeal and you're eating, you know, whatever you're eating and you just go to fellowshipping about the service and wonder how that goes. Well, let's bring it on down. She goes to a tape church. Or he does. And you go to a church where you got live preachers. How you going to fellowship on that point? Praise God. Oh, hallelujah. Or you go to a church where they really preach the truth and you go to another message church where they're telling you that actually we're beyond Brother Branham now. And uh, we're saying what the tapes say, but Whenever you go to trying to find what they say that the tapes say, the tapes don't say it the way they say that they're saying it. So then you think something ain't been saying the way that they should say it. And then you want to fellowship on what the tapes say. So I said, well, really, what do the tapes say? Well, they're saying they say what the tapes say, and yet you play what the tapes play. And whenever you hear it, it don't come up with the same thing. That's, that's some kind of fellowship meeting. I've been in a few of those fellowship meetings. I try to avoid them when I can. But it'd be pretty tough when that's your wife. Amen. <laughs> Woo. Should we pray about who we marry? What about it, young men? What about it, young sisters? Mama. You imagine the frequency of these discussions falls when comparing religiously matched couples to religiously mixed couples, but half of believers married to someone in a different denomination, 62%, or someone who's religiously unaffiliated, 46%, still regularly Talk about faith. But you couldn't go very far beyond that. You just sat around around supper table and said, aren't you glad we believe that there's a God? Man, I mean, ain't we blessed? 
Looks like to me you did get tired of talking about that because in generalities you can only go so far. So if you want to talk about God, I mean, tell me, what do you believe about him? Is he one? Is he two? Is he three? Tell me. Well, right there with many of them, you'd have a falling out right there. Does he have a divine sovereignty? Is he able to ordain people and choose people? Which tends to get us separated from him. So what are you really going to fellowship? So what do they focus on? Sex? Making money? Well, I've got this goal. I want this degree, and I, yeah, I want that degree, and I want this degree, and I want that degree. Well, what about church? Well, church doesn't really matter that much. I'm not religious like my mom and dad was. Additionally, three in ten people with a different faith background than their partners say religion often sparks great times of fellowship as they are setting... The findings showed that differences in belief do cause tension in some cases. I would imagine that's putting it mildly. Which can affect a family's ability to thrive religiously. Partners who practice different faiths may struggle to pray together, which is the basic, one of the basic principles of Christianity. You can't even pray with a person because your religious differences are so odd that you can't even just pray with one another. Sickness, affliction, you know, something comes up. You can't even grab one another by the hand and say, honey, let's pray. Satan trying to attack our home, Satan attacking our child, and you can't even pray because you're so far apart are people insane are they out of their mind that would walk into such a thing partners who practice different faiths may struggle to pray together which relationships experts sometimes suggest couples do in times of conflict the Deseret News reported earlier this year, when people pray about tensions in the relationship, they are helped to see their part in the problem. Oh, well, that makes sense why Satan wouldn't want you to pray then. There ain't no way in the world, friends, we can ever go before the throne of God and ever come out of their feeling like we are totally free from any blame. If every time a situation arises in your home or with your relationship with other people and every time you go before the throne of God, you feel like you are totally innocent. Oh my, you're the victim in the entire thing. You ain't never been in his presence long enough. I don't care whether you're Brother Branham, if you're Paul, or you're Peter, or who you are. The prophet said you cannot get in the presence of God without feeling sorry for that brother and come away from there. Come on, saints. If every time you pray, you come out of their mouth, so-and-so did so-and-so. I don't know why in the world everybody hates me. It shells me you ain't got through in a long time. There ain't a one of us, preacher, deacon, trustee, that gets alone in the presence of God that does not feel humiliated by his greatness. Oh, my. When people pray about tensions in the relationship, they're helped to see their part in the problem. They're helped to see what they can do themselves to make a difference, and they're helped to soften, soft-noted. Mark Butler, professor of marriage and family therapy at Brigham Young University in the article, couples who share an understanding of the role of religion plays in the relationship may also be able to handle marital stress better. Ah, none of us know what that is, right? 
Don't you lie. The angels of God are in this place tonight. Lord, have mercy. Everybody's still except for these young brothers. I mean, they're moving fidgety and on. Everybody else is just froze. Even a slightly lower frequency of religious discussion may have big consequences for a couple's children. Pew studies show that a child's future, his religious practice depends at least in part on whether or not he or she felt their parents cared a lot about their faith. Children, you have an impact. On your children. Religiously mixed household produce unaffiliated kids more often. In general, the new studies show that children raised in religiously mixed households are more likely than their peers in religiously matched home to describe themselves as nuns. In other words, they just don't believe in God. And who's to blame? A father who compromised and married a worldly girl or vice versa. Then you raise your children and they prove up to be an infidel or an agnostic or an unbeliever. Who's going to stand before God and answer for that influence? That man or woman who compromised in their marriage. Well, praise God. So guess what, friends? Once again, facts testify God's word is always the truth. Can I have a few more minutes? The rest of you ready to go? <laughs> Notice again now, let's come back to the scripture that we've been reading in 2 Corinthians 6, 15. And what cord, concord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate. So God commands his people to come out, which implies a definite act on our part. So it's not that we just sit back and let God do it and God will, you know, God will do everything and we do nothing. We ride on God's coattail. No, that's not what God said. God said, come out from among them. So it shows us that there is an act by which believers must separate themselves. It tells me a lot about a person, how sincere they are when they say they want to get closer to God or they want to come to God and I'll give them a few little tests and a few little things to do. If they're not willing to do them, a few little mini things that I tell them it lets me know right there they're not ready yet to surrender to God they're just in a playing mood they want to play church for a while they want to play with God for a little bit if you're really sincere you'll do whatever God asks you to do Amen. If you ever get to that spot, you know what I'm talking about. But notice then God doesn't just want them to separate. So it's something that they must do. They must come out. But he said, be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean things. So separation is not just a negative aspect. Now that's what separation is. And this is why people struggle with it. Because it seems so negative. But what about my friends? What about my buddy? What about this? What about that? Now they look at separation as being negative only. 
And Satan scares them with the fear of separation. But when you really have a true understanding of what separation is, you know that separation is part of redemption. And redemption has two parts. And that is coming out of and going into. So separation is coming out from among the world. But there's also a positive aspect of separation. And that is as you separate from the world, you go deeper in him. But many folks, so oh, they focus some, oh, I had to quit that. I had to, oh, if I did that, I have to give up. The, oh, I'm scared. Oh, I'm scared. I'm scared. I can't do it. Oh, no. I don't know if I can do it or not. See, they're hanging right there on the negative part. Well, you can hang there if you want to, but there's much more positive than you're ever going to give up. Well, I'll have to give up my smoking, your emphysema, your lung cancer. I'll have to give up my drinking, yeah, cirrhosis of the liver. I'll have to give up my pie, yeah, cross-eyed pothead. Boy, that's really something to give up, ain't it? I'll have to give up my gambling buddies. Your wife will thank God for that. At least you can buy beans and taters for supper now. Uh, you, and you're thinking, this is a horrible thing to have to give up? My goodness, that sounds like a no-brainer to me. But yet, they're bold. well, I, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know if I can do it, I don't know. And Satan has some focus on the negative. What are they? They're the fearful, they're the unbelieving and they'll stand before God at the white throne judgment and God will send them to their destiny of choice which is hell because they chose to focus on the negative side of separation instead of the positive side of sanctification and said by the grace of God if I give up this and this what is that compared to eternity what is that compared to all that God's going to give me well praise the Lord oh hallelujah now notice that the Old Testament Jew was defiled by touching a dead body. Now you know that a priest, even when his mother and father died or a family member died, he was not allowed to go to the wake, as we would call it today, the viewing. He was not allowed to touch the dead body. He could not come by, touch his mother, touch his father, brother, sister, because if he did, he was defiled. So even with a putrefied or an open sore, a Jew was not allowed to touch the pus or the infection that come out of the body, and especially priest. So you can see why then when the sick and the afflicted come to the Lord Jesus that they looked at him as being so defiled and so contaminated because the sick, the afflicted, the people with all types of horrible diseases come around and Jesus actually let them touch him and he would actually go and touch them. Some of them looked, they said, oh my goodness, this man is undefiled. He's unclean. Why? Because he come to show them now it's not just so much touching a dead body. It's not touching a sore as it oozes out pus or infection. But it is a deeper understanding of sanctification. Aren't you glad we have that tonight by the grace of God? So the Old Testament Jew then was defiled by doing so. But the Lord Jesus wants us to see that we still have these, we cannot do this and go here and do this this and all that but it's on a higher level but we do not want to be contaminated not so much by well I touched my mother and she's laying in the coffin oh I, I'm contaminated for seven days of course not but yet we can be contaminated by the wrong kind of music contaminated by the wrong kind of books that you read the wrong kind of websites that you visit that you should not wrong kind of movies that you watch and you fill your mind oh come on saints you become contaminated so he said touch not their unclean things just stay away from those things that defile you 
Well, praise the Lord. So sanctification and separation into that is separating us from the things of the world that we can get closer to the presence of God. So the underlying principle is that everything around us basically is unclean. Some things are unclean of themselves. Other things are unclean by what people do with them. But so we have to watch every day of our life. How many knows that's the truth? How many of y'all have a smartphone? How many have a cell phone? That can be one of the greatest snares in your life. We blast people that's addicted to pot and some of you are just as addicted to your cell phone. It can't buzz without your eyes going to it. It can't ring. Some people are so addicted to social media, they spend more time on social media than they do praying. They spend more time on social media than they do listen to tapes. Well, hallelujah, Brother Donnie. Lord, you're going to get me in trouble again. They're so, I want to be in contact. I do too. Contact with the Almighty. Look, friend, I realize we live in a world. Thank God for the convenience of a cell phone. But sometimes I hate that thing. Sometimes I feel like grabbing it and throwing the hog lot. Or throwing it in a swimming pool or throwing it in the bottom of the Grand Canyon somewhere. Well, come on. Don't sit down and look at me. Why? Because it can become such a bondage. It can become such an addiction. And the smartphone ain't no smarter than the person who owns it. So the phone may be smart, but sometimes the people who own them ain't very smart. Lord Jesus. Oh my. You see, an unequal yoke is anything that unites a child of God to anything that is contrary to the union of God. Anything that in the long run. Now, you don't just look at it at what it is initially, but you look at the long run and say, what is this going to do to me as a child of God six months from now? Okay, it may look totally harmless now, but what is this going to do to me six years from now? A year from now? What's this? Is this going to have any negative effect on my walk with God? Many of the things that people get involved with, if they would look at it like that and say, oh, this is harmless. It ain't bothering me. I'm good. I'm good. Everything's good. I'm okay. I'm all right. But look, not just at today, not just at tomorrow, the end of the week. Look and see what's that going to do to you six weeks from now, six months from now, six years from now. So don't be unequally yoked. You're yoking up with a habit. You're yoking up with a website. Or you're yoking up with music or questionable movie or a questionable book. Well, come on, saints. You're yoking up with something and joining your allegiance and giving your mind and your thought process, your thought process and your pattern of thinking to something that's contrary to the word. Don't yoke your up with some donkey of the devil. Don't be yoked as a child of God to anything that's going to pull you away from your fellowship with Jesus Christ. Let's stand while we still can. Oh my. Friends, separation is not separation is not from the contact. It's it's from the contamination. You understand? From the conformity. From the conformity or the compromise. Look look at the way to me this, this prayer, Brother Terry, is so so profound of the Lord Jesus, the office of the high priest. Saint John seventeen fifteen. I pray not that thou shouldest take them. Out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them 
from the evil. Now here's Jesus. You, you believe he's the captain of our salvation. Amen. He's the founder of the church. Amen. He started the way he wanted it. Yep. Then he could have said, Father, I pray you as soon as they get saved, as soon as they get the Holy Ghost, give them a private rapture. Bring them right into heaven, Father. But he doesn't pray that at all. He makes it very plain. Father, I, I don't pray that you'll take them out of the world. But Father, I do pray. And this is what lets me know, my brother, sister. Everyone that he prayed for, this will happen in their lives. And you believe whatever you want to believe. Jesus is not just praying for the 11. He's praying for me. He's praying for you. He's praying for every child of God. This is the mediator himself. Praying, oh, glory to God. Praying, Carol, from the very beginning of the church age, right to the very last one by the skip that will come in. He's standing right there in the breach and praying for every elect member. And goes on to say, Father, I do not pray for the world. I pray for them. Well, I'm going to go ahead and say it. Jesus didn't pray for everybody because he couldn't do no good. He didn't come into the world to die for everybody. Oh, no. He come to seek and save that which was lost. <laughs> I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world. And yet Paul said, come out from among them. So coming out from among them is not taking us out of the planet. So it's coming out, but still living in the same planet, rubbing shoulders with people and letting them see there's something different about us. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but thou shouldest keep them from the evil. Let's bow our heads together if you would. Praise God. I wonder how many of you with me tonight wants to be that kind of a believer. You want to be kept from the evil of the world. Have we all yielded? Of course we have. Have we got into compromising states before? Of course we have. God merciful to us and forgive us and help us. But we don't want to be caught there again, do we? Heavenly Father, all oh, your word is such a balancer, Lord. Help us to seek the balance of truth in all things, Father. Lord, we know if Satan cannot get us to one side of the ditch, he'll try to take us to the other side. If he cannot try to make us to where we become in the mentality of Amish or Mennonites or something like that, then we take grace to the other side so far that it becomes a disgrace. And we just live any way we want, do whatever we want, and Somehow believe we're going to be there. Father, we don't want either one of those. We want to know where truth meets truth. Where scripture meets scripture. We want to pull from the left and pull from the right. And we want our walk with you to be to where we have to deny no word. Explain no scripture away. But our Holy Ghost can amen every word of God. Whether we understand it or not whether it fits with our human understanding or not. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for truth. I'm sure, Father, most of us here tonight and most of those that will hear this service have been in compromised states before. 
And they've allowed their contact to be weakened and overpowered. And they entered into a stage of contamination. Oh, maybe they didn't drink, they didn't lie, they didn't cheat, they didn't steal. But they just felt that little check in their heart that they just felt somehow contaminated a little bit. Every Christian knows what I'm talking about tonight. We know, Lord, that even the finest of contamination does not necessarily mean participation. It don't mean that we grab a cigarette and smoke it, but maybe we just held our peace a little bit when we felt the nudge of the Holy Ghost. And we just thought, well, to keep peace, I just won't say this, I won't say that. And then we walk away and feel like we stole a baby's candy. Lord, help us, I pray. Give us wisdom, Father. We need you, Lord, dealing with the people in this age. We're living in an age when everybody's offended about something. We can't stand for the truth of that offended people. The Bible is declared to be a book of hatred. Some famous movie star just this past week said the Bible should not be allowed to be preached from because it is a book of hatred. And it instigates hate and against the gay community and against women's rights and against this community and that community. Help us, I pray, Father. What if they outlaw it, Lord? Help us as your children to still stand for the truth. No doubt Happy Valley would get smaller if they ever outlaw preaching the real true word of God. Because there'd be some that wouldn't want to be identified. They'd just stay home and stream. But Lord, I pray you'd give me courage to stand. If it becomes against the law to preach the truth, give me courage to preach it, Lord. Give us courage to stand for it and give somebody's laity, Father, the strength to pull up here in this parking lot and let their faces be seen that they are a believer of truth. Help us, Lord. Father God, help us to be able to contact without contamination. Help us to be able to love without compromise. Help us to be able to reach out without becoming defiled. This is the very key of the Godhead in humanity. No wonder you were such a mysterious person. Who would have ever thought God, God, would have led a woman who was a prostitute, God in a human being, would let a prostitute ever touch his feet? And cry tears out of her eyes. And wash his feet and take her hair. And wash dry them precious feet. No wonder you were so misunderstood. Because they did not comprehend deity in humanity. They have this self-righteous hypocrisy about them Lord. Help us I pray to not become message Pharisees. But help us Lord to be message Christians. Message people that can contact and be kind. Lord, we don't have to have a big frown on our face to be a Christian. Lord, we're not sinning when we greet people and wish them a good morning or a nice day. That's Christianity. That's the way your prophet was. Thank you, Lord, that we can be nice and kind and still be filled with the Holy Ghost. We don't have to be mean and cantankerous. Help us, Lord Jesus. Grant it, I pray, Father. Amen. Thank you, Lord Jesus. How many wants it with all your heart? Raise your hands and say, with all my heart. With all my heart, Lord Jesus. Help me to be salty, Lord. 
But help me not to become contaminated. Help me to contact. Help me, Lord, if you send me out of my comfort zone. Lord Jesus, to be able to contact, but never compromise one iota of the truth that I believe, Lord. We love you, Father, with all of our hearts tonight. We worship you, Lord God. You are worthy, Lord Jesus. Oh, praise be to God. Can we just raise our hands? You know what it ain't going to be, but just a few weeks, school's going to start, and you'll have to be heading out of here early on Wednesday night. But while we've got a few more Wednesday nights, can we take a little time just to be able to worship Him and just to be able to sing a little bit and praise Him and, oh, my, amen. What's going on in your heart, Harry? Thank you, Lord Jesus. Aren't you glad you're separated tonight, friends? But not separated by hypocrisy and separated by legalism, but separated to the Lord Jesus by His Word. Amen. If you're really separated to that, when you see people that's living like the people live in this day and dressing the way they live, you don't stand there with a self-righteous attitude, but you look at them and think, God, have mercy. Amen. Poor people, where, where are they going to be, God? You understand, right? You understand. That's the way it makes you feel in your heart. Thank God for the truth. Thank God for washing us, separating us. Let's worship a little bit, shall we? Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Yes, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Let's just worship him a little, can we? Oh, my soul. Oh, my soul. Rejoice. Take your
Aren't you glad you know that? What a mighty God I know He is. Somebody help me sing it. Mm, heavens and earth adore Him. As His little bride, we bow before. What a mighty God Jesus is. Help me sing it.
Just sing this little course as you're dismissed this evening. Amen. How great is our God tonight? Oh, how great is our God. Sing with me. How great is our God. And all will see how great, how great is our God. Sing with me.
Stop. 